The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone. This is Arun Sudharman with The Provoke Podcast. I'm here in Hong Kong. I'm joined today by Richard Brett, who is in Sydney, Australia. Richard, of course, I'm going to get your title wrong now. You're CEO of OPR Australia. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Wow, amazing. <laughs> How are you doing? How's lockdown? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, no, all good. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting time. Has, how, how are you finding um, the business and the market holding up in Australia right now? I think, I mean, like everyone, I think everyone's been impacted, but I think um, Australia has performed pretty well um, in terms of controlling the virus. So we're sort of on the road out in terms of lockdown now. So we, um, we started working remotely from sort of early-ish March. So we were a bit ahead of the national lockdown here. Mm. Um, but yeah, things are certainly sort of beginning to pick up in the last two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. So I think we've got a little bit more reason to be optimistic than some other countries at the moment. I would think so too, yeah. Um, meanwhile, you've written a book. Yes. Uh, which <laughs> is really quite impressive. I mean, obviously you didn't write this while, while in lockdown. I think this, you've been working on this for quite a while with two of your colleagues, uh, Chief Creative Officer Bridget Jung and Editorial Director Brian Corrigan. Um, it's called The Decade of Do, uh, and it's 60,000 words, so well done. First of all, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about this book because um, it, it sounds like to me like it captures the, um, I guess, the zeitgeist in terms of the way brands are moving away from just messaging and talking to actual behavior and purpose and action. Yeah, that's right. I think, yeah, I mean, that's essentially the idea behind the book, very simply, is you know, we have noticed and were thinking and reflecting on, you know, what we were seeing in trends in marketing communications were that campaigns that are action focused, do things. And that, you know, that's a broad definition. It can be from helping to solve a problem at the global level or the community level, or even something that gives people hope or entertains them, but essentially does something, has a purpose, has meaning was being more effective and driving more engagement than the more sort of traditional marketing methods of telling and talking at people. Mm. Yeah, and why do you think companies are making this shift? Is this something that, uh, is, it, is, it, is it simply a matter of this is what's being demanded now by people, whether that's customers or, or employees? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think there's lots of things going on in the world, none of which I think are particularly revolutionary in terms of what I'm going to say. But I think what's interesting is lots of things coming together. You know, so I think on one hand, you've got, you know, social media and the way that people are, you know, everyone has a voice now. So there's so much kind of noise. Everyone's talking louder and faster. There's the problem of fake news. So this is kind of forced transparency on companies and organizations, which means they have to sort of, I think, step up and behave in the right way because everyone at their company 
has a voice. I think we're also, you know, even before COVID-19, there were a number of what seemed to be insurmountable issues, rising inequality since the GFC, obviously the climate uh, crisis, democracy seeming under threat in, in a number of um, countries, and then obviously, you know, coronavirus set through the world in the last few months um, as well. So, you know, we're sort of seeing, I think, all of those things, meaning that people want to see organisations set step up and help to solve some of these problems. Um, and I think sort of part of what we sort of say in the book is, you know, the, the idea of the book came sort of probably about two, two and a half years ago. And, and actually it was around, um, you know, as many of us do, we go to these conferences like CAN and we saw sort of purpose work winning. But I think what was interesting maybe five, six years ago with purpose work is it sort of almost was quite um, tokenistic or shallow, almost felt like some of it was there to win awards, mm. but actually, perhaps in the last two to three years actually began to have much deeper meaning and actually was really beginning to help solve some of these problems as well, which we sort of thought was, you know, purpose moving from just communications to actually business strategy and sort of the integration of those two things was, was, was really interesting as well. And we talk about that idea in the book and how that's impacting impacted marketing. So companies really having much more of a, um, I guess a more ambitious sense of adding societal value um, in terms of their their higher purpose and that impacting marketing as well. Mm, sure. And obviously, you write this book and you're releasing it, and then it's a global pandemic. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. I, su I suspect that you know, in in some respects, complicates things, but in others, maybe clarifies it because. How have you seen the impact of COVID-19 in terms of um, the way corporates are responding? Has it uh, perhaps, I guess, confirmed your thesis? Yes, yeah, so we, we actually finished the book um, at the end of February and we were actually about to publish it and launch it um, early in March. And then I think Obviously, then the, the the global pandemic was was announced, and we were we sort of decided there and then to pause the book, the launch, didn't do anything with it because we really didn't know actually if this would be the decade of do mm. at all. We actually thought, gosh, have we spent all this time writing a book that is now completely and utterly irrelevant? Um, so we actually just parked it and thought we we just don't know the answer to that question yet. Um, but fast forward two months, and I think, you know, we can actually, with confidence, say, well, actually, this is the decade of do. And I think we've seen the way that companies, governments, individuals have reacted to the crisis with a real sense of doing. Um, I think the governments, the way that governments are reacting to the crisis now compared to the GFC from an economic perspective is very different. You know, back at the GFC, and you know, they probably didn't really have a choice. They had to set to save the banks, big business. Now, you know, the banks are in better shape. They're actually focused on saving and supporting small business. And, um, you know, with all of the wage subsidy schemes as well, the, all, all the people that are potentially could have been unemployed, but um, you know, their jobs currently are on hold. 
Um, and then we've seen companies step up and start to make ventilators, face masks, PPE, hand sanitizers. Mm. And then at the community level, I think we've seen so many inspiring small acts of kindness from people putting notes through people's doors saying, can I help look after you to all of the clap for our carers movement around the world. So I think there has been a real sense of togetherness and everyone's sort of stepping up and doing, doing what they can. And obviously I make generalizations. That's not the case in every country, mm -hmm. not every leader around the world has, has done the right <laughs> thing. Um, but I think there are lots of great examples where, we have seen, I think, a bit of a shift in behavior versus 10 years ago. Mm. I guess the big question is um, whether this will last because uh, we'll start to see companies face, and already we're seeing them face really severe economic hardship. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the, the big test always is, and you often see this in the financial pages of newspapers and so on, where it's like, oh, well, all that, all that do-goodery is all nice and, and, and fine, but fundamentally these companies have got to return profit to their shareholders. And at some point that's going to have to become the priority. Uh, and maybe, maybe to the extent that it excludes, you know, some of this, you know, all the other stuff that they're doing to try and help people. Uh, and they'll start focusing on profit and maybe they'll start laying more and more people off. I mean, how big a risk do you think that is um, for companies in general? Uh, do you think that their their mindsets have shifted enough, I suppose, to kind of handle that, that those kinds of challenges? Mm. I mean, I think it depends how long the situation goes on for. Um, I think, as you say, you know, right now we have seen companies generally do the right thing. But I think, you know, there are a number of companies around the world that are in distress, um, especially those, you know, airlines, for example, um, and we are seeing more bad news emerge from them as time goes on. So I think mm -hmm. there is going to have to be a balance between, yeah, the financial balance sheet of the company and sometimes company survival versus, um, you know, doing what's right. But mm -hmm. I think the overall shift, I think, of integrating of a company's overarching purpose to be sort of higher. And mm. I think, you know, when the, the American Business Roundtable came out in August and said just that, um, that, you know, it's no longer just about shareholder return. I think, I think that sentiment will last. I think it, it is gonna be harder for companies to deliver on all of their um, objectives. Some of those objectives are gonna be conflicting, but I do think you know, over the mid to long term, that will carry through because I think the young generation demand it. And mm. I think I would also say that this is the same with the environment and the climate. You could kind of argue that the, the dialogue and the focus on the environmental crisis has dissipated somewhat. Mm -hmm. Will that last forever? No, it'll come back with a vengeance. I think even as we see amazing pictures of clean air and clean water around the world because of this, um, it might even bolster that movement, which then in turn put more pressure on to governments and to companies to do, to do the right thing as well. So I think the sort of, what I would say is the sort of the, the integration of purpose deep into a company strategy, I think will carry on. We might see less and less sort of tokenistic purpose-led marketing, mm. for example. 
Yeah. Um, you mentioned the business roundtable, which is interesting because, um, you know, this is in a way a test, I guess, of that kind of, of, of pledge um, that all, you know, all stakeholders should be, should be treated equally. What's the, the prevailing sentiment in Australia, I'm curious, because I know there's been these kind of royal commissions into corporate behavior and so on. Is, is, has, it, has the shift been as pro profound there as well? I think that, yeah, I, I think going back to the, to the GFC, there were a number of issues, problems, scandals around big business here, as in many countries around the world. We went through a very intense Royal Commission in banking, um, you know, two, two years, a year ago. Um, but I do think that and if you look at some of the data, trust in government and business has increased. Mm -hmm. especially in the government in the last few weeks as well so yeah whether that continues i think will uh be up for debate but i do think there has been a shift from the sort of intense mistrust of institutions i think certainly in australia that trust has been reinvigorated because mm -hmm. government and business have been seen to do the right thing and step up mm. okay so it's i suppose it's easy in a way to say okay companies need to, to be doing things, they need to be taking action, they need to be actually demonstrating um, that they're going to back up their words uh, with, with meaningful actions. Um, but it's, it's a challenge for companies just deciding what to do and how to do it. I, I always think when we have these conversations, I mean, we, we, we had a discussion around 12 months ago uh, in Australia, as I recall, and uh, with with client side people, and, and one of the things that came up was how to find that purpose, make sure it's 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 authentic, to use a, a buzzword, but also to make sure it's not too distant from what a company is doing, and it's actually mm. relevant to their business. I mean, how how much of a challenge is that? Do you think for companies? I think it can be a challenge, and I think it sort of goes back to the the sort of argument we were talking about earlier in terms of the business strategy and mm. having that clear differentiated set of values and beliefs that you have as an have as an organization and embedding that in in your culture and i think some of the most interesting work that we've seen from some of those companies such as um, you know the tampon book such as the black supermarket from Carrefour mm. really goes back to their corporate purpose and their corporate narrative and their business strategy. And both of those campaigns achieve great things and help drive sales as well. So I don't think the two things are necessarily separate. I think you mm. can develop a great business strategy that can manifest itself in marketing communications that can also help drive your business as well um that's not easy to do but i think there are a couple of examples and also the volvo eva campaign i think is another really good example of something you know volvo safety completely focused on safety but a campaign that actually has done good for the car industry and humanity as a whole as well i think is another really interesting example of that mm. is that a conversation you find you're still having with clients or is that argument just accepted now or, you know this idea that you can you can 
um, build business and do, and do good at the same time? Um, or is there still a view that somehow those things are mutually exclusive? No, I think I think most clients want to uh, and understand the concept of they they need to increasingly have a focus on that kind of higher purpose, um, and I think that runs through their business, and I think that comes increasingly from the investor community as well as from their employees. Um, so I think that that mm-hmm. movement is reflective of different shifts of attitude across a number of their different stakeholders Um, I think the challenge is often to find as you said what is uniquely differentiated for them what can they have that authentic point of view on and own that actually then is helpful entertaining solves a problem um, I think can often be the the challenge because there's you know there's so much noise so much content out there it's finding, you know, that brilliant idea that can work across all of your channels, has longevity and can help achieve um, both business results and solve an issue potentially that I think is obviously, you know, the dream spot that can be very hard to achieve. Are there any other challenges, um, you know, that you've found from writing this book that companies need to be uh, aware of? You know, I would imagine, as we're seeing right now, tone is really important. Mm. Um, but I don't know if there's any others that maybe um, you found while writing this book. I think one of the interesting um, sort of themes of the book is the desire for, and it's such an overused word, it's like unprecedented at the moment, which is authenticity. Mm. Um, and that's not, that's not new news, but I think how it's manifesting itself in marketing is this sort of desire for kind of realness mm-hmm. and we talk for example about celeste barber australian influencer you know very popular instagram but she you know her posts are she takes the sort of overstyled, um airbrushed perfect instagram aesthetic and then places her sort of everyday interpretation next to it and it's incredibly yeah. funny. And I think that is, is sort of symbolic of, I think, the dialogue that's happening is that people actually want this real life, everyday, almost ordinary stories and not the mm. polished, perfect aesthetic that perhaps we've been used to over the past five years. And I think COVID-19 has just accelerated, accelerated that. Yep idea that you know people are no longer wanting to look at your perfect life they actually want something that's much more real and genuine and authentic from people and I think that will impact the kind of people that companies partner with to help them communicate their their campaigns yeah it's interesting isn't it because one of the things with the lockdown is we've we started to see inside the homes of celebrities and so on so much more and it's just this kind of it seems to have engendered this kind of feeling that, you know, we're, we're all the same really, which of course, which shouldn't be a surprise, but I guess is, but also it does, I suppose, decrease that distance between even brands and people, influencers and people. Um, how you mentioned investors as, as an important driver, which I thought was interesting. How important have employees been uh, when it comes to pushing for action? 
I think employees are a really powerful group pushing for action. One of the insights in the book, the start of the book is called Generation Do, Mm -hmm. which is based on some research that we've done with uh, Kantar about young people's attitude to the future and their overwhelming desire for action and their impatience at the old generation for inaction, especially around climate. Mm. And Komar Brunton, um, now part of Kantar, do this really interesting global study every couple of years called the Millennium Monitor. And they look at societal and cultural values. And they sort of argue that we sort of go through this movement of four different cycles of cultural phases. We're now moving um, through from a conformity phase, which was in existence after the GFC, into a, a rebellion phase. Mm. And that actually repeats the cycle that we went through between the 1950s to the 1960s. Um, so often after a sort of global trauma, in that case, the Second World War, people want safety and security. They tend to vote in more conservative, right-wing governments, perhaps more anti-immigration. Mm. As that generation moves through and a new generation comes through, they see a whole lot of new problems um, that weren't facing us 10, 15 years ago. And that's that's what's happening now, which is why we're you know, seeing people such as Greta Thunberg take the streets and actually demand action on, on climate change. And that young generation really are striving for um, change, especially around the environment. And we talk about in the book around some Australian examples such as um, there's a, a young man, Arlene Ecker, I think he's 14, who started a whole campaign to remove plastic waste. Um, Molly Steer, who I think is uh, 12 now, who has a campaign called Straw No More to, to ban plastic mm. straws. So that generation, you know, that are coming through are really expecting much higher standards when it comes to the environment and also to diversity and inclusion as well and that is absolutely driving I think some of these changes in terms of corporate uh, communications. Mm. Do you think there's an opportunity for a company that does the exact opposite here that you know just doesn't do anything um, and presents itself as an alternative to uh, to all these corporates who, um, who claim that they're kind of driven by by purpose and want to make the world a better place and, in, and and maybe you get a company that comes along and says actually we don't care about any of that we're just we're just gonna sell you a great product i mean i think i think there there is room for that i mean i think in the book you know we we sort of say that you know part of doing is yes solving problems but it's not necessarily solving problems it can just be about entertaining people mm-hmm. and creating something that is really fun and joyful. And actually the last chapter of the book is just about the need for escapism and happiness and joy. And I think companies can you know, create products and content that is just about making people happy. And I think that's, that, that is a type of doing. So you know, whether it's helpful, entertaining or solves a problem, these are all different types of doing. It doesn't have to be sort of purpose driven trying to solve a a global problem Mm. so in terms of the impact on the industry let's let's finish with that because you know this this shift is something i guess it's been underway for for a while now the the thinking 
has has been that this will help public relations industry, public relations firms, um, because they're already, I think, quite well versed in 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 some of these aspects, right? In terms of authenticity and and two-way dialogue um, and building campaigns that are around impact rather than just uh, messages. But I would imagine that everyone wants to get in on this now, right? From ad agencies to, to all types of, of firms. Is, is, does that pose a threat itself to, to, the, to the PR world? I think it does. I don't think that it's necessarily new news that those agencies want to move into earned. I think certainly from our experience, the craft of building a great story and really understanding how a story can, you know, can be something that is generally wanted to be shared and read by people. PR agencies are still very good at that, mm-hmm. but you know the great integrated campaign is you know the sweet spot. I would argue that a lot of those integrated campaigns still need to have earned thinking at the heart of them. And so I still think there is that opportunity for PR agencies to play a central role um, in that. And I think we are getting better at packaging ourselves and selling ourselves and winning awards as well than perhaps the way that we weren't doing two or three years ago. But I still think we as an industry have to work harder, have to be more confident and ambitious about how we package up our work and how we sell more integrated thinking. But I think the opportunity generally is still to come up with campaigns that are genuinely thought provoking, have a story and are shareable and I think PR is at the heart of that mm. sweet spot. Yeah. Okay, well thank you very much Richard. Um, so it's the decade of do and it is available I think as an ebook already and and an audiobook as well. Yes, so it's um, available as an ebook uh, on Kindle, uh, audiobook on Google Play and Apple and Audible. Um, in the next couple of weeks as well. Cool, and there's a print edition coming later in the year. Print edition, yes, when we get out of lockdown. (laughs) Right, excellent. Great, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, Thanks, Sounds like a really interesting book, and take care. Thanks for your time. Thank you. cheers. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media, and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.